Welcome to the Cricket's Sidecar, where we go a little further into a story of note with the person who wrote it. Hello, this is Chris McGinn, the features editor of the Manchester Cricket, back with Erica Brown for our weekly podcast. Hello, Erica Brown, the editor and owner and all things Manchester Cricket. Hello. Hello there, Chris McGinn. <laughs> right? We're back. <laughs> My favorite time of the week, right? talking to you. We're doing it. We're doing it. And we have actually been away for a couple of weeks, so we have a lot to talk about. There's been a lot going on. There's been a lot going on. Um, let's see. Let's crack open, maybe even this last week's paper, and it looks like there's a little bit in the Town Hall Notebook that maybe you could tell me more about. Mm-hmm. What's Specifically, what are you thinking about with the <laughs> Town Hall Notebook? Seriously. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking about that the planning board finalized the ATM articles for warrant, Erica. Well, that's something in flux. I feel like we've talked about that a lot, and it, the truth is it is in flux. So I'm going to tell you about something that has been happening that I have not covered in the Town Hall Notebook, but... Well, I kind of did cover it in the Town Hall Notebook, but let's talk about what I didn't mention in the Town Hall Notebook. And that is about <laughs> public safety and specifically the fire department yes, yes, yes. and specifically the finance committee in Manchester and specifically the select board in Manchester and dealing with, uh, there's been a lot of kind of kerfuffle, let's call it, right? I love the word kerfuffle. And it's been triggered by the financing, you know, the, the, the finance, the budgeting process for the town, which we're getting up to in April, we're going to have the annual town meeting and the main business of an annual town meeting in any town, which always happens in the spring, I believe, I, I believe all municipalities have their annual town meeting in the spring, and okay. you can have special town meetings any other time, but um, the most popular is the fall. But the main business of the town is in the spring, and the main business of that is to set the budget for the year, which in Manchester, it's uh, it's around $30 million. Okay. And one of the big line items, you know, there's big line items. Public safety yeah, is a huge one. Okay. Huge. The school budget oh, the is school a huge one. an obvious right? one. So those are two where, where the action is. Let's call it that, right? <laughs> So um, yes. what's interesting is I noticed last year during the finance process, the FinCom, the Finance Committee, it starts like in early January, drumming up through when they have to finalize uh, the budget in March. So they go on these kind of weekly drumbeat meetings, right? And they chip away at the budget one section at a time. So um, this year, <laughs> I shouldn't say these things, but it is kind of funny. To watch the Finance Committee try to you know, rough up the library trustees because they're spending too much money on their magazine subscriptions or their book procurements. Why did you spend that? It's just, it's like watching somebody club a baby seal. It's just like, what? But they do it like, and they, you know, and that's, listen, the rigor of the finance committee, it's a good thing, right? Okay, so that's the process. So it's within that backdrop that it's interesting. Last year, and I'll go back again to what I was starting with. Last year, I noticed when they were talking to the the fire chief, his name is Jason Cleary, I remember that the finance committee was almost singling them out, the Mm. fire department, Mm. in a way that I felt was really unusual. And the select board did it too, because I'm thinking of a select board man, a man in particular, who was kind of holding the feet to the fire, the fire chief. And I'll tell you <laughs> what, what it was, what caught my attention last year. Mm-hmm. The fire chief has this idea that you want a national, he wants to meet the national recommended construct for safety, the optimal safety during a fire event, okay. which is two in and two out, which is two firemen go into a fire in a building, right. two stay out to okay. make sure, because that's the optimal construct. Right 
We don't have enough staff for that. We also have lost a lot of reserve. We don't live in the same world as we did, you know, 40 years ago that everyone's nostalgic for, where, you know, neighborhood guys would get woken up in the middle of the night and their volunteers, they'd run down this to the fire. Essex. you know, completely. Exactly. There's a robust volunteer fire department yeah, well, there. Well, Manchester doesn't have that anymore. So it's just those people have left okay. or they've retired or they've whatever. For whatever reason. And so, and the fire department has a really added onus that they need to, um, they need to have both EMT certified people Mm -hmm. and fire, uh, you know, it's a dual thing. Of course. Most of the calls that the fire department gets are EMTs. They're for, they're for ambulance uh, calls. So anyway, they, the, 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 back to the finance committee, I I feel like I'm spending too much time on this, but it's interesting and it's important. The fire chief said, listen, I know maybe we don't have enough money in the budget for this, but I know of a national grant where I can get grant money for these additional staff members. And it's a three-year grant. And do you want to know what the answer to to that was? I'm serious. Their answer was, no, we don't want to do that because who's going to pay on year four? Literally, that was their answer last year. And I remember as soon as I heard that, it was, it was almost as if I was cooking in my kitchen while I was listening ambiently to the meeting on Zoom. And then all of a sudden I heard that and it was like, Reek! I was like, what? what? <laughs> right. It was just such an odd response. So that's the backdrop, right? Go okay. into this year. Let me tell you, it was clear to watch the way they treated the, the fire chief. And the fire chief you know, has a way of and I, I know this is a familiar thing. I, I share with him why use two words when 20 will do. He, he talks a lot. Verbose. <laughs> you know, he's verbose. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Hello, guilty as charged, right? <laughs> but, 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 but that doesn't mean he's not an excellent fire chief and he's not looking for the best of his people. The right. best. Right, right, right. And the, the best of his people, by the way, is the best for our people. Isn't that true? Yeah, it's all fine Why and well are until you, going, you need them. Exactly. And, so. and what's the problem with a fire chief who really just wants to make sure that everything's done by the book? Oh, is that so offensive? Presumably this is what you would look for in a fire chief. Exactly. Okay. Anyway, so there was a lot of controversy about Hullabaloo. the budgeting process with this. There was some joking that was happening openly in an open meeting in the FinCom yeah. about one guy, the vice chair of the FinCom, looked over at his compadres and said, you know, by the way, they weren't even talking about the fire department when he did this. And he looked over and he goes, yeah, you know, like two in, two out. And they all started laughing like they were in a middle school playground. It was a bad look. Yeah. Let's just say that. Um, but anyway, so here we are on the other side of it. Mm. The warrant's finalized. The budget's finalized. Okay. By It's been approved, and the warrant's getting printed uh, of all the articles, and we're going to town meeting. Let's see what happens on town meeting floor. Let's see what the posture is, by the way, okay. the posture of the select board and the FinCom. I would imagine that their posture will be filled with respect. Okay. Don't you think? I would hope. After everyone's been calling them out? <laughs> like just now. And by the way, it wasn't me. I wasn't, I'm, not too, no. I'm not calling. Yeah. I mean, I'm telling you what I saw. Sure. I'm not telling you what I wrote about, by the way, because I'm respectful of that. But also, if you, if you go on Facebook, it's, it's all out there. Okay. So I feel comfortable talking sure, about sure. it. But I'll tell you, all that stuff on Facebook, it's actually correct. Okay. Because I saw it myself with okay. my own two eyes, and I heard it with oh, my own two ears. So... Okay, well... Did we spend too much time on that? Not at all. <laughs> Super. <laughs> Always interesting. Manchester, Manchester, Manchester Fire Department. Manchester never disappoints and in Manchester the antics around such things. So, okay, well, okay. We'll, we'll stay tuned. Yes. Well, on a lighter note, I'm going to flip to something I, I'm embarrassed to say I haven't seen, but Skate by the Sea is, is happening. So... 
as far as I understand, that the town has, and again, I need to go see, put in a, a skate park at Masconomo that's made of, it's not ice, of course, it's plastic, but you can ice skate and look out at the ocean. And people have been enjoying this. And then this weekend, I guess, is the last time to enjoy it before yeah. it goes away, only to come back again next year. Yeah, this past weekend was the last time um, that it happened. And uh, and really, I mean, honestly, I think this technology was probably developed in Florida, <laughs> where they like to celebrate <laughs> Christmas, but or, or the holidays, the winter holidays, right, whatever they right, may right. be, and the holidays, the celebration. Yeah. And, um, you know, in a way that the, where the weather is not cooperative. It's an all-season skating surface. Wait, it's going to You can do it in the summer if you wanted. You no, know, no, no, no. I'm just not. talking about the surface. Okay, that's good. <laughs> so really what this is, and I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, it's the result of a state grant that yeah. was uh, aimed, and I think this is such a fantastic thing, and this is a shout out to the former uh, Manchester planner, town planner, Sue Brown, applied for this in partnership with Essex, mm -hmm. with Dana Menon, who's the planner over there, and they applied for a joint um, grant for a program that would revitalize, support the revitalization, not revitalization, but the vital vitality mm -hmm. of downtowns during the quiet period during of the year the between season. just past the holidays, so January through March, which is typically the slowest sure. months of the season for, for all retail businesses, right. online or downtown. Right. And while so, we enjoy the lack of traffic, so it in is the end, a bit tough we, on yeah, that. no, 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 it's fantastic. So in the end, they came up with this idea, Skate by the Sea for Manchester, and Smart. Essex got its own grant, so that we applied jointly, but we were awarded separately and more money than we thought. Oh, fantastic! Okay, good. So well, Skate by are. the Sea is our event, and Manchester chose, and I think that big shout out to um, the people who planned this. They purchase, they use the money to purchase these tiles. That's great. And so it's a skate park that can be created, and they're going to do this every year now. So the grant funding Fun. went to something that we're going to be able to enjoy for years again and years and again in the future. Again. I love it. Essex is coming up in May, and that's going to be a okay, spring fling-oriented thing. We can oh, talk fun. about that when it comes around. Great. Okay, good. All right. Well, also I would like to bring up that in this week's paper, we have our first contribution from our latest high school writer. Her name is Felini DeWitt. Mm. She's a junior at the Manchester Essex Regional she's High School. She's the editor of the paper and over there. she's the editor, co-editor-in-chief of The Independent. Which is the um, school newspaper. Which is the school newspaper at the high school. And just she, when we met with her and talked to her about doing some work for the paper, she's delightful. And we have our first article from her and she's done a great job. Um, she chose to write about a fellow classmate named Kate Bappy, but also this idea of community service. And what I love about the way Fellini wrote this article about Kate's contribution to community service was that, you know, schools require students to do community service, but you know, it, it becomes sort of a task that they have to do. It becomes a box that they have to check. And it's, you know, the spirit of community service can sometimes be lost in that equation. And so Kate is a perfect example of how when you do it because you want to, it feels so good, you keep doing it, which is really the spirit of service work, which all of us should be doing. Um, so it was a great piece. Don't you think um, that's the clarion call of Gen Z? <laughs> it really is. Totally. That's yes. the, they're the most admirable generation for many reasons, and that is one of them. I can't tell you that my graduating class oh. would have said what you just said. Right. Agreed. Agreed. No. I admire them, actually. I do, too. I do, too. So she did a, a, just a bang-up job. I'm so excited, and I already know what she's going to write about next. So we've got something wonderful cooking already. I, I won't preview it just yet, but so we've got another piece coming from Fellini, I would say, in a couple of weeks, so look forward to seeing that. But I, love she did seeing, a great job. I love seeing younger people who are really interested in journalism. 
I went to the career fair last uh, week at the Gloucester High School. Oh, and right, right. it was, yes, you know, yes, about yes, 600 yes. Uh, fa- people went through, and it was with colleges. And I was next to the Cape Ann Museum. The teen director there is lovely. We had a great time. But I have to say, talking to students about journalism and, and sort of showing them that a community newspaper could be successful, and it's a really vi- vital part of a vibrant community. And that's all really all I wanted to accomplish. Yeah. But to listen, and coincidentally, right after that, and I don't know if I was just particularly tuned to it, but Editor and Publisher Magazine did a big survey uh, last quarter, and they did a survey of Gen Z and their views on news and the importance of local news. And oh. they are so in tuned with journalism the importance of facts, a fact-based uh, well, of course, existence. or facts. But I then mean, also the idea of it, everything starts with your community. They're very, very into sort of, they understand the role of civics and they understand that the power of it starts at the bottom and goes up. Start local, go up. Yeah. And I think that, you know, Fellaini and, and this work is really kind of, it just makes me feel good. It makes me, it, I, I couldn't agree more. And it's indicative of this generation, which gives us hope that Hallelujah. they have pulled up from the sort of mess that, that I know. I just, off to them. God, I feel for that generation, yeah, the, what they're being laid with. And, and yet they're, they, they're not this narcissistic kind of self-centered generation at all. They're so smart. They're very smart. They're, and they're so, focused on and smart almost seems like an insulting word actually to use because it's not big enough to express well, what they, have they a are. Consciousness and an intelligence they're very aware. That, that, they're a yes. very powerful generation. Yeah, I, I, I really, so, so we, we look go. forward. Can we say more? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so what I do need you to say a little bit more about though, if I would, is you wrote a wonderful piece on a visit. Oh from yeah. Kim Driscoll. Now, Kim Driscoll is the lieutenant governor of the Mass of Massachusetts, brand new. She and I believe Maura Healy, um, the new governor mm-hmm. of Massachusetts, and you know, uh, Lieutenant Governor Kim Driscoll, I believe that they are the only all-female administrative head of a state in the United States of America. Really, I believe that's the case. Out. If I'm wrong, I apologize, but I think that, I, I didn't say they're the first, but I think right now they definitely are the only, they're a real powerhouse couple, but... Um, I went to a, um, an event with her at the Gloucester Cruise Port uh, last week, and she is the former mayor of Salem. She, during Salem's revitalization, which is for the books, uh, I mean, it is 100%. literally a case study in really turning things around. Now, you can ding her, and she gets dinged, if anything, for two things. And they're both a product of being too successful, by the way. But seriously, okay. the first one is... Uh, people, she built up the tourism in within Salem, the mm-hmm. revenue associated with tourism, to the point where Salem is almost gridlocky for two months a year during oh, Halloween. Completely. We <laughs> and all so, know to steer clear. And so, yeah, we all know locally to steer clear. But the bottom line is, why do people complain about it? Because it's she's been so dramatically successful. Right. She's just a really powerful person. The other thing she gets dinged for, and also, is she's been a real leader in affordable housing. Okay. Um, and and kind of really embracing zoning that 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 brings in affordable housing and allows people and and so I, I she talked first of all it was so clear that to have one of our own mm-hmm. in the state house mm-hmm. is really amazing nice. I mean it's amazing um, yeah. and then also you know Maura Healy is the former attorney general she hasn't run a, t- a city okay or a 
or a right, town or right, whatever. Right, right. And the administrative realities of budgets and people and, you know, actually, you know, Kim Driscoll understands that. She's run a complicated city. Now, now the budget for the state is $50 billion. <laughs> it's not quite what Salem was, but still, she's right. run a city. She's really, right, right. and she's done it for decades. So she really knows what she's doing. So she can talk with such fluency about operational matters with the state, which is really interesting. She talked about the budget. Honestly, I thought that was interesting. <laughs> I know you, you may did, not. Erica. You may not have shared that. <laughs> Erica Dream. But budget. what I was really impressed with was the clarity and the, you know, the familiarity that is that she didn't have to work on. She's from here. She really understands our region. She understands what we are dealing with. She's mm-hmm. able to talk about, you know, she talked about the creative economy, how that's important, which is interesting. She talked about, buy, and she talked about Gloucester Stage Company. She uh-huh. talked about GMGI, you know, the Gloucester Genomics uh, Institute oh, yes, right yes. on the harbor there. Uh, so life sciences and genomics okay. and things like that, which is really a big deal here. Cell signaling, GMGI, um, you know, uh, New England Biolabs, that kind of thing. Right. She also talked about training. And staffing and about how that is such a huge issue. So North Shore Tech and things like that. And then she talked for a very long time about housing. And the Mm -hmm. way in which she did it was so powerful. And the the reason why it was powerful is it was A, very commonsensical, and B, personal. Like she sat there and she looked at this crowd. This is what she said. And then I'll stop talking about her. But (laughs) she said, listen, everybody. And she basically made them just be fess up. She said, how many people in this room could afford to buy the house that you live in right now, today, today, Mm -hmm. at the age you were when you bought your house. All she needed to do was say that, and then suddenly everyone said, and she said, listen, Massachusetts, Manchester, but Massachusetts is a very, very expensive state, and if we don't deal with this head on, we are going to lose our best people, our older people that want to age in place or need a place that's better, and our young young people, that's what we're going to lose. And we're going to lose it. And she says, affordable housing is great until it's your address. Mm-hmm. And when she said that, she was like, everyone was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> good. So anyway, well, so good she was amazing. I'm and so uh, we were really lucky to have her. And you know what? Actually, if your shout outs are appropriate with Do the it. chamber, because it was a greater chamber event. It's their annual economic outlook. But um, the new chief operating officer, Bernie Romanowski, who lives oh, in Manchester, yes. he worked at Pathways for, he, I think, I've, over 10 years. Yes. And he worked in Salem with Mayor Driscoll, and okay. he was kind of the connector. Well, that's you know, great. I don't think it's all him. You wouldn't want the credit to just be with him. But right. certainly he was a catalyst. And Excellent. He, he was great. So big oh, shout out to him. Cool. He was best. Very, very good. All right. Well, good. Well, I'm going to move right into a piece that you wrote. And may I just give a shout out, speaking of, to you, your writing on this piece was excellent. But you covered a piece about a local author that has written a wonderful book called Taxi to America. I'm impressed with a lot of things about her story, including also her discipline in writing this book. And her name is Stella Nahatis. Am I pronouncing this right? Nahantis? Nahatis. Nahatis. Stella Nahatis. Stella Nahatis. Tell us a little bit more about this, because... Well, I, I mean, I'll just inspiring. sort of tell the truth about okay. the, how I came to this story. She actually approached me last year okay. when she was in the, I guess the what now I know is the final stages of editing her book and finalizing it. Mm-hmm. And she asked if I would read it. And I remember thinking, you know, it's I, I hate committing to something where I'm not the right person. Right. Like, I'm, I'm not... I'm, I've never edited a book or I can't give good advice. I mean, I could give advice on what I like about it as a reader, sure. but which I'm sure, I don't know if that's, but I, I wasn't able to help her. And I said that, you know, front, I said, I don't think I'm the right person for, for you. And I, and 
so anyway, so I, I got the book. I knew what it was when I got it. But here Stella is, somebody who has decided, oh, I'm going to write a book and my memoir for the first, you know, and I've never written a book before. Right. I mean, how many times have you heard that? It, it, everyone's going everyone to write their to write memoirs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Myself included. Exactly. Everyone was going to write a memoir. No. Everyone's got, well, I should say it this way. Everyone has a memoir in them. Of course. I think that's exactly and right. That's a, and so that's actually not a bad thing at all. execute on it, though. Nobody executes it. Few yeah. people do, and fewer do it. With well. any proficiency, <laughs> let alone well. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Seriously. I couldn't agree more. Okay, so here, imagine my surprise, you know, <laughs> when I sit down. You know, and there's a, have you ever actually... read the book, A Confederacy of Dunces? Oh, God. By uh, John I, Kennedy O'Toole. I, I absolutely know it. I, if I read it, it was ages ago and I can't okay. speak on it. I read it, honestly, in my 20s. And yeah, I believe me, I'm no longer in my 20s. <laughs> but no, but I read it in my 20s. I loved it. Right. Loved it. It was such a good book. It's such a unique book. And people have read it probably. And my son, one of my sons, mm-hmm. uh, came up and he goes, oh, my God, this book, I'm reading it. It's amazing. Called, you know, have you ever read Confederacy of Dunces? And I almost did a head snap. I went, what? <laughs> anyway, I'm bringing it up for a very specific okay. reason. I forget who it was who uh, wrote the intro. There's a, oh, I think it was Walker Percy, who's a very okay, well-known yes, yes. short story Southern writer out yeah, of New Orleans. Kind of like... And I think he taught at Tulane or something like that for years and years and years. Anyway, so he wrote the forward because he had it published. And he told a story about this older woman who had come in, this old, old lady. Let's just call her an old lady because that's what she was in my memory and him telling the story. He tells in the preface, this old lady keeps on coming to my office at the university saying, I really want you to read my son's book. I really want you to read my son's book. By the way, we'll get to Stella Nahadis' book in a second. (laughs) So... Keeps on saying, and he keeps on saying, uh, no, I can't help you, lady. I can't help you, ma'am. I'm really sorry. I can't help you. I can't help you. And she was so persistent mm-hmm. that finally he just said, okay, okay, bring me the manuscript. I'll read it. I'll let you know what I think. And he was thinking of himself, to himself, you know, with a clear conscience, I'll be able to tell her, have your son do something else for a living. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. I'll send her away <laughs> and, t- and send word that writing is not in this his future. <laughs> It's not his future, right? Yeah. So she shows up, and she, I, honestly, I, this is all from memory. I think the manuscript was all printed out with ragged pages, and it it was almost like eight inches thick. Okay. It was a monster of a manuscript, and he just went, "What?" Right. <laughs> so he said, "I'm gonna read the first page, and then I will be able to tell her. Please have your son do something else." And he describes when he starts reading it, he starts to get sick to his stomach. And he says, he reveals, because it was too good to stop reading. (laughs) And then he goes, and by the time I got to page 10, I realized this is one of the most original voices in American literature I'd ever read, basically. He basically says that. And then he literally wouldn't stop reading until he finished it. And then, I, I... are we ever going to get to Stella the Hottest? <laughs> well, what a wonderful point of entry. This is, wow. this is quite, quite complimentary. Well, why don't I, I'll tell you what happens mm-hmm. at the end of that after we talk about Stella the Hottest. So, okay, do tell us. So I was thinking, you know, like, oh, okay. My expectations were very, you know, realistic when sure. I started reading the book. Good and because she did, she sent it to me. And, oh, my God, the opener especially yeah. is is so impactful and heartbreaking and also well written. And so here it is. Stella Nahadis has never written a book before. She's lived in Manchester for years. And she tells the story of being 10 years old and orphaned. Mm-hmm. And I'm, that's a spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> 
orphaned at 10, she wakes up. And the, her, the beauty of her writing is that she's very disciplined in writing only from the point of view of her at 10 years old. Mm. She doesn't have an adult voice, an all-knowing voice that tells a story. And that's what makes the beginning of this book so lovely. She is woken up at 10 years old in the middle of the night by a very, her kind, very kind landlady, yeah. who's a very kind to yeah. she and her sister. She is 10. Her sister's eight. They share a boarding house room in Greece in a kind of a rural area with their parents because her father's family, where they had lived, were um, the Turkish problems. They had been cleared out in the early 20th century from where they lived in Turkey, and so they had nothing. But they lived in, obviously, a boarding house, which was very lovely, and and her parents were, you know, her mother was beautiful, and, you know, everything's very idealistic, right? right? From a child's perspective, right? Of course. So she's woken up in the middle of the night. Her parents had gone out earlier the night before. I mean, earlier that evening, and she's told, wake up. You need to get changed, and your uncle is coming um, to get you. Mm-hmm. You have to do this now. So she knew it was serious, but she didn't, you know, but it was measured. Right. So they're very compliant. They, do, they go out to meet their normally gregarious uh, uncle who's waiting by a taxi cab outside. And the d- sister's, you know, just sort of going right along with her older sister, Stella, doing exactly as her older sister does. And they get in the back of the cab. And she does notice that her gregarious, you know, uncle is a little more muted, a little more serious. Right. Something's different, but she doesn't really notice. And she's sitting in the back of the cab, and they're driving along. And she, all these things she just doesn't think about. She, doesn't, she stops and, th- you know, a cab for them was un, un, unspeakably luxurious. luxurious she, yes. she never was inside of a cab. ever. They only took the bus and she would get sick from the diesel fumes, you know, that kind of thing. And so her her sister's holding her hand. They don't wonder why in the middle of the night, pre-dawn hours, Mm -hmm. you know, they're driving along for a long time and they, they end up, you know, going to a cemetery. The uncle gets out. She hears hears muffled voices outside. It's really well-written. And then all of a sudden they hear this thud, a big thud in the, in the trunk and kind of you know, sets them up, and and the, the the uncle gets back in the car. He's sitting in the front with the driver, and nobody's really speaking. And they're driving along, and they're going to this very rural village. And she doesn't ask any questions, right. and she's literally noticing. And this is what's so heartbreaking. Yeah, this part is brutal. She's looking outside the window at people along the side of the road. Now it's kind of dawn, right? Yeah. In these rural roads, and they look at the cab, and they're like, oh. And they stop and they stand up while the cab goes by, or they make the cross, the sign of the cross, right. or they do all these things and they're looking, or people passing in the opposite direction in a car would look at them, mm-hmm. peer, you know, at these girls. Mm-hmm. And she literally sat there and said, oh, all these people, they must be so envious of me and my sister because we get to ride in a cab. Yeah. Oh. And as it turns out, it's it's her mother in, in a, a coffin in the back. So. And her parents have died. They're orphaned. And she and her sister separated, um, adopted. She's adopted. Uh, Stella is adopted by a Greek family that emigrates to Boston. That's why how she comes here. And she's separated from her sister for eight years because the culture thought that was best for them. Mm. And she, it's a real beautiful story of optimism and resilience, but not a candy-colored, coated, you know, kind of right. sugary optimism. It's the optimism of somebody who knows how to climb out of a hole. And that's how, kind of how Stella describes it. Yeah. So that was oh. too long, but... No, it was worth she, it's it. It's a it really was... lovely, lovely story. And, yeah. she, and, and, and by the way, the work she 
did to do this was actually, you know, I tell people writing is like carpentry. I it's just an, do it. She and that's yes, and, and you get she, better, and you get better. It's and she treated it's it not like a gift job. from she God. It hard. It's, it's yeah, a hard one craft, and put yourself in a chair and just do yep. it. She, and she sat down and she wrote in a couple, like three months. She wrote a hundred thousand words, got it all down. Uh, she'd been told for decades, you should write your story. You should write your story, yeah. and she just wrote it down, and then the work began. But I, that's something she, yeah, editing. she got it out and then she began and crafting rewriting and, and crafting it and, and shaping. Yes. Mm. And then she even hired an editor to help smart, her, which was really smart, really smart. And in the end, and I, here it know, is. I said, you know, I said, are you going to do it again? And she, she oh, I think it's too say? soon. Okay. <laughs> she, she, let's, let's let her just enjoy She this. goes, I don't think so. <laughs> well, I hope, I, I know that we can get the book at the bookshop of Beverly Farms yeah. or... There's in Gloucester, uh, the bookshop in Gloucester. Oh, yes. I love that. Also. Okay, good. Well, so, I hope she gives a talk at some And point. then it's also available at like all the online, yeah. you know, at Barnes and Noble, Amazon, etc. Okay, good. I'm so but, excited for her. What, but I what think a she, treasure. It, it, yeah. And, and it's a, it's a real accomplishment. It, it's, it's and a I admire her for doing it. And there's such an, uh, such a bravery associated yeah. with that. Not just the discipline, but to put yourself out there, to put your story out there yeah. and, you know, let everyone have at it. I just think congratulations She also is her. kind of focused on really being an inspiration to girls too. She's kind of really thinking about kind of girls. Yeah. Young girls. Right. And especially, Trauma. which is nice uh, for a, you know, uh, I think it's Women in History Month, right? It, and it was International Women's Day this week. That's so right. yeah, we've, so, we've got, I mean, it, she, there was nothing about that she was co- coinciding with, but right, it is but, coincidental. Yeah. It's, it's, there's, there are no coincidences. So, okay, well, great. I don't know how to do this elegantly, but I would like for a moment to talk about eelgrass. <laughs> <laughs> Where, where because, are we talking about eelgrass? Because eelgrass, it, eelgrass, we, we eelgrass. can never go for more than a month without talking about eelgrass, apparently, here in Manchester. And while we all know a lot about eelgrass, um, eelgrass is a marine eel, plant yes. that actually has really kind of supersized benefits for um, carbon sequestering and for, you know, CO2 uh, Complete, processing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like the, the it's like a global of the yeah, sea. It's like, it's like it, a global it, warming it super, holds things in super place. food. It, exactly. <laughs> Clean stuff up. We all love eelgrass and it's very important. Mm-hmm. And we have a really, in, in my opinion, one of his best pieces because it's actually like a story. Our Contributor from Essex, Peter Fippen, who works with the Great Marsh Coalition and has done, in many, many, many ways, so much work on restoring and keeping the Great Marsh healthy. And we've heard from him before. He contributes to us regularly. This piece in particular is about starting in years and years and years ago, in 2019, they began really working hard to understand how to transplant and encourage eelmar, the eelgrass along the Essex Riverbed, mm-hmm. figured it out, painstaking, volunteers, you know, came out in droves, and they would have to wait for the tide to pull back, planting the eelgrass right along this sort of tidal ridge that's hard to get to. You have to time it right. You have to be in the right place at the right time. And they pulled it off and had such great success. Mm. And the eelgrass was not only staying, it was propagating. So just, just really amazing. However, this is a two-part article, and at the end of the article, we indicate that all did not go well. This all came to an abrupt end about two years later. Mm. And I don't want to reveal what happened, but you have to stay tuned and check out the cricket, and we'll talk about it more next week, but it's a bit disheartening. So part one lets us know about what they learned, their success with the eelgrass transplants, 
and then in part two, we'll understand some of the unforeseen influences on eelgrass that they could not have accounted for. Wow. That's so, our version of a cliffhanger. That, that's <laughs> it's our environmental cliffhanger. A little more. Exactly. We can't wait to see what happens with the eelgrass. So thank you to Peter. Peter's awesome. And we're always happy when he contributes. So... Yes. So I don't know. I think I think that's it for, I think for now from us. I, I think mean, we've done it. Yeah. I feel like I'm all talked out. <laughs> that's possible. <laughs> no. All right. Well, I can't wait to see you again here next week. Thank you, Erica. Chris, you're the best. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sidecar. To hear more Cape Ann stories like these, subscribe to the Sidecar podcast from thecricket.com on your favorite podcasting platform.